We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to confess something. It wasn't the easiest task to find a text to preach this evening, especially in light of the family meeting and where we were going with the building project. And I I wanted to find something that would give a biblical perspective to what this project is really ultimately all about. Uh, I guess you can tell me at the end of the sermon whether or not (laughs) that accomplished it. But I, I started to think, you know, we could go in the direction of giving. We could go in the direction of money and the needs that we have with that. And I could preach texts about being sacrificial and you know, um, um, realizing that when we got baptized, our wallets did too, and throw that big guilt trip on you. Um, but I thought, you know what? You people have the Holy Spirit. And pastors do not have to prompt you to be generous. We need to remind you of how generous Jesus has been to you and how sacrificial he has been on your behalf. But we don't have to twist your arm to be a sacrificial, generous people. You are that by virtue of being a new creation. So what I want to do tonight is just lay out from 1 Corinthians 3 a vision of what the building that God is building. The theme or the thesis of my sermon is that we are building this building for the building of the building. We are building this building for the building of the building. Now, what does that mean? Besides the fact that you use the word building four times. We are building that steel, brick, and mortar facility off to this side of our campus or grounds in order to serve the upbuilding of the church of Jesus Christ. God has no sacred real estate anymore. There is, he's not really fundamentally interested in brick and mortar edifices the way he was, or costly stone edifices and gold temples the way he was in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant. Because he's building a new temple these days. And it's a temple not made of bricks, made out of concrete, but bricks made out of human beings. He's building a new temple. And that temple is made up of the redeemed, the church. And he is very, very interested in that building. And to the degree that our building serves that building, this will be a worthwhile enterprise. And to the degree that it's not, it's a waste of money. But I don't believe it's a waste of money. And none of your pastors believe that. I don't think any of you all believe it is, or you wouldn't have voted in favor of it. We believe that this building is going to serve the ultimate building of the church of Christ through both the ministry of Heritage Christian School and the, and the ministry of Heritage Baptist Church. And so I want us to, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 9, and think together about the building that God is building and how that relates to the building of our physical building. Paul is using a metaphor here for the church, and he describes it as the building of God. And in this, we're going to see lots of different elements that go into constructing this building. In fact, seven of them that we're going to talk about this evening. But let's begin our reading at verse 9, and I'll pray briefly, and we'll dive right in. Verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, 
God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray briefly. Father, we ask for your help and and specifically for my mouth and my heart and my mind and our hearts and hearts our hearts and minds as we listen. We pray that you would bless this time together in your word that you will grant us understanding and application and a, a vision of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, so I want us to see seven elements of this building, okay, that God is building. Paul has been, has been writing to the Corinthians in these first three chapters about the division that exists in their church, and he's been coming at it from lots of different angles. And he reminds them in chapter three, at least he begins to remind them and trying to attack this division and get to the root of it, he reminds them that one of the things that has contributed to this division in the church is this kind of party spirit that's come up. They're really, some guys are really pro this pastor and another people are really pro this pastor. I really like Pastor Mark. I really like Pastor Ted. I really like Pastor uh, Sam, whatever, Pastor Rich. Just kind of party spirit going on. This is, I like this pastor. And Paul just comes and says, wait, you're forgetting who pastors are. And he begins in verse 5 by saying, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are uh, us, servants of the Lord? That's exactly what we are, he says in verse 5. Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And then he begins to go through this agricultural metaphor, this metaphor of planting and watering. He says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He's saying, Corinthians, you've lost sight of who's really growing this church. It's not me and my giftedness as the Apostle Paul or Apollos and his winsomeness in the pulpit that's building this church. What's happening is God is building this church through our planting and watering, but he's giving the growth. We play a part. We got to plant. We got to water. But behind all that planting and watering is God who's building this garden, so to speak. He's giving the growth. Verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one. That is, Apollos and Paul were both about the same thing. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And then at the middle of verse 9, he changes the metaphor. He's been talking about God's field as the church. And now he's going to switch the metaphor in the middle of verse 9 and go to the building. God, You are God's building. And then from 10 through 17, he sticks with that building metaphor. And the building that he has in mind that God is building, he reveals in verses 16 and 17 when he describes the church as God's temple. The Bible started with a temple. 
in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a temple. And Pastor Rich is going to smile because he taught me a lot of this stuff. The Bible started with a temple in the Garden of Eden. You had man under the rule of God, living in the presence of God. The people of Israel were to be, they had the physical temple there, and they were supposed to be, that, that reminded them of the physical presence of God with them, or the, the presence of God with them. And then that temple metaphor runs straight through the New Testament, all the way through the book of Revelation. And one of the most fascinating books that I've had the privilege to dip into in the last year was G.K. Beale's book on the temple and the church's mission. It's a dense book. It's a hard book. But, man, is it a really good book. Because what it does is it traces this theme of temple from the, from the Garden of Eden all the way through the end of Revelation. And it talks about this temple that God is building. Jesus Christ himself was the temple of God. He described himself as that, right? Destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. After his resurrection, the church becomes the temple of God that he is building. And in the end of the age, when Jesus returns in the book of Revelation, we see this temple metaphor picked up again with the Lord dwelling with his people. So what would happen in the Garden of Eden comes full circle, only fulfilled and even better. So this temple metaphor runs right through it. And we're right here. Paul is using the temple metaphor to describe the church, since that's where we're living in redemptive history right now. This is the temple that God is building. It's not the final temple. The final temple's in the new heavens and the new earth. But this is the temple that's going to get us to that temple. And he describes seven elements of this building that God is building. And so let's dive right in with, first of all, the owner of the building. Number one, this building has an owner. And verse 9 reveals who that owner is. You are God's building. Church in Corinth. Paul reminds them, you are not Paul's building. You are not Apollos' building. He's trying to, again, he's trying to overcome this division. He's saying, listen, you are God's building. If Paul dies, if Apollos dies, this building still stands. Because this building is not primarily built by human beings. It's built by God. God is the owner of his church. It does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And we need to remember that, especially as we head into a new phase of our church life. I mean, this if the Lord blesses this new building project, and it goes up and, and new people come in either through the school or into the church, it's going to change the dynamics of our body. It's going to change, you know, and you, some of you who have been here a long time have already experienced those dynamic changes. You can remember when Heritage was the small thing, and you're going to go to the Memorial Day picnic tomorrow, and you're going to start to reminisce. I remember 15 years ago, more people used to show up at this thing. I remember 15 years ago when we used to have this kind of thing go on here, and you're going to be a little bit sad. It's okay to be a little bit sad about that. Not Nothing wrong with that. But to be dominated by that, the ancient, the glory days, so to speak, you know, the days we forget. That this is a good thing, this is a new phase that God has brought us to, and we should be thrilled by it. It's going to change the dynamics of the church, but then we realize, wait, the church doesn't belong to me anyway. This place, these people don't exist for me. We're also at a unique spot in the history of our church in that the man who planted the church in 1974, praise God, he's still around. 
Very thankful for Pastor Ted. But he's playing the back nine, so to speak. <laughs> PK had, or PT had to take that shot. You're, you're, he's in the latter days of his ministry, and we pray that he'll, he'll have much more, more, much more time than even, even he anticipates that he's going to have. Not trying to undermine him at all. Love him. Praise God for him. But the reality is, is that 20 years from now, 15 years from now, he may not be around. And we need to prepare ourselves for that. And the, 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 the mind uh, that, that Paul gives us in verse 9 about that this is God's building will protect us from being unduly unhinged by Pastor Ted's retirement or moving on to a different sphere of ministry or whatever. Um, so we must remember that God is the owner. God's the owner. And so God's deeply invested here. And we've got, so when, when pastors move on and Pastor Rich leaves and things, you know, they're in flux and different pastors go different places, we don't, God's still here. God's still here. He's not going to leave us. And your shepherds aren't going to walk off and, and leave you without, you know, we're not just say, well, God's got them, so we'll just leave. We're not going to do that. But, um, but just know that God's deeply invested in this building. It was his idea. He's the one who's claimed ownership of it. He's provided all the money necessary to build it. All the collateral's been paid by Jesus. He's deeply invested in the building of his church, and he's not going to forsake it. He's the owner. We have a second element, the architect, in verse 10. All good buildings have to have an architect. We needed a building for a good architect for that building. I think we got one. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, here it is, like a skilled master builder. There's architect, designer. In fact, the Greek word even reveals that's where we get the word architect from. Skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds it. So Paul's saying, now he's getting involved. And he says, now remember church at Corinth, according to the grace of God given to me, I became like a skilled master builder. Now I love this phrase of Paul because it, it's, it's humble, but it's also spot on with telling you what he's all about. And what he knows how to do. You know, if we just read that he says, you are God's field, God's building. I'm a master builder, Paul says. We would think, man, it's kind of arrogant. Kind of arrogant. It's like, I know how to build a church. That's what Paul's saying. I know how to design a church. I know how to plan a church. I know how to do this. I know how to install temples of God around Asia Minor. I know how to do this. But he doesn't just say it cocky. He acknowledges the grace of God that's been given him to be able to do this, right? According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. The job of the architect and the designer is to make sure that the building gets off on a good foot and is built well. And what Paul is saying here is, church in Corinth, when I came and planted that church, when I came and planted your church, I was very careful how I built that thing. 
very, very careful. I was, I was very intentional about what I was doing and how I was designing this building. He said, I laid a foundation. That was Paul's ministry, right? He saw his ministry as one of laying foundations. He was a, he was a pioneer missionary. He went into areas, planted churches, and left them. He laid foundations and said, good, Jesus is here. People are saved. We got potential leaders. I'm out. And then he wrote letters back to him. That was his call. And he describes himself as a skilled master builder. And he said, I laid a foundation. So that's the second element. We've got an owner and we've got an architect. Now we've got number three, a construction crew. The construction crew. This is the second part of verse 10. He said, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Someone else. That is probably immediately what he's thinking of is the, is the leaders at the church of Corinth right there. The people who, who have been left behind to shepherd the church. And he's saying someone else is building upon it. And he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Paul is saying, I want the construction crew, I want the people that I've left behind to show the same interest and the same intentionality in building on this foundation well as I did when I was there. I want them to take care with how they build this church. It's, I love the thoughtfulness and intentionality of the Apostle Paul. He wasn't a hyper-Calvinist that just went in and preached the word and said, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. doesn't matter. We don't need to think about organization and structures and systems and how we're going to care for people and what we need to do. He, no, he gave that thought, and he was intentional about the decisions that he made and how he structured and set up the life of the church. Of course, within biblical priorities and principles and parameters, but nonetheless, he gave thought to that. And he was intentional about the way he was building. And good leaders must do the same thing. We must be intentional that we are building on the correct foundation and taking care that we build in such a way as that foundation becomes really obvious. And what is the foundation? This is the fourth point. So that we got the owner, we got the architect, we got the construction crew, which, by the way, includes both the leaders of that church and also the people within that church, as we'll see a little bit later. But we've got the owner, the architect, the construction crew, and then the foundation. Now we're ready to get into the building proper. The owner's here. The architect's been chosen. The construction crew's on site. Time to, time to build the foundation. Time to lay the, lay the concrete down. In verse 11, he picks up on what that foundation is going to be and must be. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. When Paul thought about what, who is the one on whom we must build a church, he didn't think doctrines although doctrines are very important. He didn't think biblical teaching in abstract, expository preaching in abstract. He thought of a person, a person. Now, all those can be means to a person, but they can also not be means to a person. 
The foundation on which I believe this church was built, the church in Corinth, and every true church is built is Jesus. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a church. It has to be built on Jesus. And what Paul means by the foundation is the foundation of the true gospel of Jesus. Like in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I wasn't trying to gain a crowd through how attractive I was in presenting and hip and cool my sermons were. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the foundation he went in to Corinth with. And by God's grace, through saving a lot of sexually immoral, homosexual kinds of people, because that's who he writes to in chapter 6 that, that they were. Corinth was, a very, was the Las Vegas of Asia Minor. It was rough. And Paul went in there, preached the gospel, Jesus saved people, and that's the foundation on which the church was built, was the preaching of the gospel of Christ crucified. We don't get to move beyond that. And I'm going to, we're going to see that with the materials that Paul gets into in a minute. But the foundation of this church must always be the person and work of Jesus Christ. Front and center all the time. On the agenda all the time. He's the worship leader. He's the main pastor. He's the senior pastor of our church. We're just under shepherds. He must be preeminent. And by God's grace, we're going to keep him there. So we've got the owner, the architect, the construction crew, the foundation. In verses 12 and 13, we get number five, the materials. The materials for the building. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Paul may be using those uh, words to because he's got maybe Solomon's temple in his mind. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, many of you have heard sermons on this text and you've heard it preached like this. There are rewards in heaven and you need to be very careful what you do for the Lord. Because what you do for the Lord is going to determine the degree of reward you receive. And that is certainly true, and that is certainly a principle of this text. But this text is not being primarily preached to Christians in general. It's being preached to leaders. It's for guys like me and your other pastors who are called upon to give thought to how we build the church. And what it's saying is to these leaders is take care how you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, why does he have to say things like that? Because people can do crazy things even when they think that they're building on the foundation of Jesus. They can get distracted by secondary things and start building the church on something other than Jesus. It can, it can run the spectrum. It can go everything from, I mean, what are we using? What are we use, What kind of materials? What, what's the substance of the life of this church? What are we using to build people? Programs? 
uh, neat events, um, specific distinctives. What is it? And all those play a part. I'm not condemning all that stuff as in and of itself, but I'm saying, Paul's saying, be very careful, leaders, what materials you use to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he uses, he says, you need to make sure that they're the kind of materials that are going to go through fire and that God is going to receive on the day of judgment. And let me tell you what the day of judgment is all about. The day of judgment, at least for leaders, is all about, did you build that church around and on my son? Because that's what causes churches to get unchurched. That's when Jesus removes lampstands and candlesticks, is when they're no longer shining that light. They're not, they're not about him, 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 him all the time. He's on the agenda. He's mentioned all over the place. I want Heritage Baptist Church to become a place where people walk in and say, I don't know a lot about them, but Jesus is really important. Jesus, Jesus is really, really, really important. They talk about him a lot. They make him like he's some sort of God. I mean, really, that's what God wants. He wants his building to be permeated with his son. His son, his son, his son flows through the the singing of the people, the praying of the people, the living of the people, the worshiping of the people, the preaching of the people. It's his son, his son, his son. And all the doctrines that help, him understand, help us understand him better. All connected to him. That's gold, silver, precious stone. Those are the materials that will last. Anything else is wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned up. And there's a lot of liberal wood, hay, and stubble, and there's a lot of conservative wood, hay, and stubble. I'm not picking on either one of them. I'm picking on both of them. (laughs) And we must be careful and thoughtful because you all are involved in this. We don't, your leaders don't just run this like a five-man or six-man show. You're involved in that. That's why Paul says, let each one take care how he builds. You've got to give input and you have to, we are calling you as, as our sheep, as the sheep of the Lord, to check us to the degree that we lead you with Jesus. Listen for his voice in all of our preaching and instruction. Listen for him. Does that sound like the good shepherd? Does that sound like the chief shepherd? I pray it always does. Pray it always does. Because we're not trying to build around us here. Trying to build, build you into Jesus and Jesus into you. That's what we want. And those are the kind of materials that are going to last. In verse 13, Paul reminds them again that all these leaders, each one's work is going to be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. That's a scary day for leaders. That when James 3 says, you know, leaders are judged with greater strictness, this is in, this is in mind here. This kind of stuff, how they build. So we've got the owner, the architect, the construction crew, the foundation, the materials. Number six, we get the final inspection. Final inspection. It kind of is getting alluded to a little bit in verse 13, but we really get into it in verse 14 and 15. The final inspection. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Now, that's very interesting. 
You mean you can build on the foundation and your work not survive? You get that? If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, this is the idea. People can think they're building on Jesus and not be building on Jesus. And only the day of judgment is going to reveal whether that was really built on Jesus or not. It could have been big. It could have been great in the eyes of the world. It could have been great in the eyes of the reformed world or the evangelical world. Didn't pass. Got burned up, even though they were a conference speaker. And I'm not picking on conference speakers. I love them and benefit from them. They were put on the pedestal. But their work was burned up because it was built on the flesh. It was built on the wisdom of men and the persuasiveness of men. It wasn't built like Paul was building. God gives the growth, giving all glory to God for every good thing that comes to that church. I planted, Apollos watered. We are servants of the Lord. You know, it's a humble, humble. Leaders that lay low will build well. Leaders that lay low, congregations that lay low will build well. Leaders that are high on the hog and thinking they're doing well and things are going well and we're doing things right here and come, come to our ministry and check out how things are done, which is appropriate. We need to learn from each other. But if that's where they're getting their ultimate validation and significance, it could all be burned up. We don't want that to happen. We want the work that this church does in this community and around the world to last, to last, to be useful in the hands of the owner for as long as he wants to use it. So, says if anyone, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as one through fire. So he's saying to these leaders, look, you might lose your whole ministry. You were a Christian. You were a believer. You were a pastor. But your whole life was burned up, everything that you invest in, because you didn't build it in dependence on the gospel and reliance upon the Holy Spirit, building it around Jesus and on Jesus all the time. And while you yourself were built on Jesus, you didn't build on Jesus in your ministry. And we don't want that. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he'll just escape through fire. So he'll be saved, but all of his work will not be. So the owner, the architect, the construction crew, the foundation, the materials, the final inspection, and then lastly, the destruction, the demolition of the building. We don't like to think about that. But the destruction of this local church is a reality. I don't know if you've thought about that. It would be a real shame. We look into the future. We, we have hopes. We have dreams. We have aspirations. And we get that building in five years. It's empty because this church has split and fallen apart. That is a reality. Paul says it is. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. Do you not know, he's reminding them now, they're in the midst of some heavy division. And Paul's calling them back. He says, don't you know who you are? Be careful. This could all be washed away. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Verse 17, 
If anyone, that is, leader or church member, but mainly leaders, he's focusing on leaders here, but it has, of course, application to us as members of the church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. So, Paul is laying out before them the very real prospect that the temple in Corinth, the church of Corinth, could be destroyed. It could be destroyed by leaders who build improperly. It could be destroyed by division in the church. And Paul reminds us first of our identity in verse 16. He reminds us that we are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in us. He's reminding us. Notice how much in these two verses the word God is used five times. God's temple, God's spirit, God's temple, God, God's temple. He's putting God right in their face because they've got everybody else but God in their face. They've got themselves and their leaders. They've lost sight of what this really is all about. And I'm telling you what, that's the first step towards destruction. When you get yourself and your wants and your desires and your leaders in front of God, you forget this is not our temple. This is not my this is not my temple. This is not their temple. This is God's temple. And sometimes we can think we're well this I believe this is God's temple. And we say all that stuff, but really it's our temple. Our all of our attitudes and all of our all, all of that reflects that we're really while we say it's God's temple, our actions are really saying, No, this is mine. I want it my way. We, so we can use all the jargon. I'm doing this for God. But the fire will test the quality of each man's work, and we need to think about that. Be careful. These people thought they were building on a good foundation. Lots of churches are. And we don't know who they are, and we should be hesitant to say things like that. We shouldn't go around and say, well, that's going to all be burned up. Look at all that. It's a big bunch of buildings. It's all going to be burned up. We don't know that. We don't know that. We should be hesitant to, to, to do such judgment. We're not God. We're not the owner of that building. By their own master, they're going to stand or fall. We need to pray for them, love them, serve them, seek to learn from them, but not condemn them. And he's reminding them, if anyone destroys God's temple, God's posture to you is not going to be positive. (laughs) Is it? God's posture towards those who seek to undermine the foundation of Jesus Christ and the building of Jesus into a church will not be met with a pat on the back by the king of kings. They will be destroyed in the day of judgment. Now, what do we take away from this for ourselves just in the few minutes we have left as we thought about the owner, the architect, the construction crew, the foundation, the materials, the final inspection, the destruction? Just step back from this whole passage and ask, what's the big idea? What's, what's the big idea? I hope it's become clear in the sermon. Jesus Christ is the big idea. Jesus is the one who will determine, he will be, he will be the one, both the determiner and the one by whom 
our work will be determined. And so as a church, I'm pleading for us that as we move into the future, as we live right now and where God has us, that the decisions that we make as a people, we're filtering them not through just the Bible in general, although that's wonderful and we need to do that, but through Jesus in particular. And we think about are the decisions that we are making consistent with the person and work of Jesus Christ? And are those decisions showing that he, what he has done and who he is are front and center to us as a church? So how will we know that? Well, we'll know that by how much he's on the agenda for our family meetings, how much his name is mentioned, how much we rejoice in and rely on him and him alone and what he has done and find satisfaction in him. As long as our lives individually are orbiting around him in our walk with him, in our discipleship to him, in our obedience to him, as long as we are orbiting our lives around him and the gospel, we will be okay. We will do well. But it's when we begin to make other things more central, other causes more important, other agendas more significant than him and his agenda. And so, brothers, we have to be on guard or this, this word wouldn't even be in the Bible. And Paul wouldn't have to write this. But it is very likely um, that, that, that it may not be around. But, it, but listen, this is the good news. Because God is not saying what you really have to do in order to make sure that your building lasts, your church lasts, is, boy, you better, you better make all the right decisions. And you better, you better make sure you got everything figured out before you make a decision. And you better be very calculated. And I'm not saying any of that to undermine the intentionality and purpose that needs to be made in our, that needs to accompany our decision making. But the wonderful thing is, it's like, if you're centered on my son, if the flavor of your, of my son is all throughout your pastoral team, if the flavor of my son is all throughout your families and all throughout your care groups, and all throughout your ministry to others, and all throughout your fellowship, you can make a lot of mistakes, and this thing will be built strong. That's the good news, because we don't have to do everything right and have all our ducks in a row. We just have to make sure we're orbiting around the right person. And things will be steered safely by him, because he is building the church, and he is guiding the church, and he will see to it that his church gets where it needs to get. But we just need to make sure that we are orbiting around him, seeking him, following him, trusting him, relying on him. And all will be well in the building of God. Even though there will be suffering and trial and tribulation and difficulty, all will be well. And that's what I pray, that this building will be built for the building of the building. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to you that you have brought us to this wonderful phase in the life of our church. 
We celebrate your goodness to us. We thank you for the dreams and the vision that you've put in Pastor Ted and Tim and others who have dreamed this and labored for this in the secret and quiet day-to-day faithfulness for years, years and years, decades. And the, the fruit is on the horizon. So thankful to you for bringing this. And thank you for the patience that you've given these men in our church up to this point to not make rash decisions to not presume and just move forward without um, being thoughtful and deliberate and planned and careful. Thank you. Thank you for how um, wise this has been stewarded to this point. And thank you for, um, for Pastor Ted. Thank you for the years of, of faithful plotting, keeping his hand to the plow, day in, day out, seeking to build this ministry around the person and work of Jesus and others who have joined um, that have been a part of this congregation for a long time and those of us who have been a part of it for shorter periods of time. We reap the fruit of those years of rugged, grace-empowered labor. Thank you. Thank you for preserving the work that you you have established. Thank you that down to this day, some 36, 37 plus years later, this church remains united. This church remains focused on the future and building the kingdom of God. This, this church remains committed to seeing the gospel transferred to the next generation and seeing this church become a place, not just a place, but a people who, who have a greater impact upon the community of Owensboro, the state of Kentucky, and by your grace, the entire world than we've ever known. And we pray that the years ahead would be greatly fruitful for for the the cause and the the name of Jesus Christ. We pray that we would always be focused on you, Lord Jesus. You're the chief shepherd of this church. We pray that you would always take us. We're dumb. We're so dumb. We just pray that you would continue to take us and just lead us. Lead us on. We're looking to you. We want you to take us forward. And we don't want to go into the future without you. We thank you that you're committed to us, that you shed your blood for us, that you have purchased us, and that you have committed yourself to us. But we have a responsibility by your grace to fulfill, and we pray that you would help us to do it and do it well, to focus on you, to build around you, to build on you, to build into you, to always, to never, ever, 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 Lord Jesus, lose sight of you, who you are and what you've done. We've got no other message. We've got no other hope. If we ever become that, which we pray we wouldn't, shut us down. But we pray that by your grace, you would keep us alive and vibrant and growing long into the future. Lord, we know that many other churches and many other pastors have prayed similar things. We're not the first to utter these prayers to you, Lord Jesus. We're not the first to ever say, keep us from stumbling. So we don't presume. We just lay low tonight. We lay low in dependent humility before you and pray that you would just keep us trusting. In your name, amen.